0: We at The Other Side of Hell podcast are not therapists, doctors, or counselors. We're just two guys who have been through hell and come out the other side. Please be aware, we may talk about drinking and drugging in detail. Anyone struggling with addiction may find this triggering. Our goal is to share our stories, explore our struggles, and connect with others through our experience. Remember, we are not alone. There is hope, and together we can get better.
1: What's up, everybody? I am Cameron.
0: And I'm Willie.
1: And today we have a very special guest. Guest host, if you will. The one, the only, our favorite. One of our first original guests that joined us via Instagram. That would be the one and only Ariel. Ariel, how are you doing?
2: Hey, I'm doing great. How are you guys?
1: I'm so great. I'm so excited to have you back on the show. For a lot of people that may not remember... Um, you came on, you, you, you gave us your war story, um, kind of back in the early days and, uh, and since then we've got to watch your recovery journey as you've been through a couple of different life changes and, and, uh, and it's been incredible to see how you grow and, uh, and you reached out, you said you wanted to come back on the show. And so here you are. We are honored to it's have an
0: you honor.
2: Back. Heck honor. yeah. I missed you guys. It feels <laughs> like it's been forever. <laughs>
1: yeah who would have thought we were that missable
0: yeah Aww. thank you thank you ariel
1: <laughs> um
0: ariel well, is joining us uh from peru today yeah she's yeah i am in
2: lima today it's quite amazing here if y'all haven't visited
0: the world traveler really nice. so great to have you
1: yeah and she's doing another one of her uh one of her life changes at the moment just sort of testing the waters on a, uh, a lifestyle on the road, um, a sobriety nomad, if you will, um, which, uh, which is very, very admirable, and I, I can't wait to see how that works out for you. But um, we, we wanted to have you on the show because you um, are a partner or um, a sponsor or spokesperson. Affiliated or with. Affiliated with, uh, with a great uh, recovery tool, um, which we're calling uh,
0: LIVED. Right. Yep. yep. It's a sober app, right?
2: Yeah. So lived is quite an incredible app. What we do is we, we bring together people who have had a lot of success making changes with alcohol in their lives, create courses and audio visual tools for you all to go through and learn from yourselves. So You get to learn from somebody who's actually been there, done that with alcohol, and learn in a really fun, engaging way. So that's why I I love the app. It's really a cool thing to download.
1: Yeah, and I know that when we we talked initially, um, one of the things that you had said was that the idea is to sort of bridge the gap between those who are sober curious and those who are, you know, taking those first steps in in uh, maybe getting sober or or trying out a sober lifestyle. Um, And I think that there's definitely a need for that because I think that a lot of times um, it seems like people in their recovery journey, I'm one um, who can really get held up with some of the labels that we hear thrown around in the recovery community, um, alcoholic, sober free, or, or sober, alcohol free, you know, all these different labels where, um, you know, a lot of people, for instance, don't really like calling themselves an alcoholic. And I think that um, these labels can really tend to, uh, to put a hiccup in people's uh, sober journey. And so we wanted to have you on today to talk about lived, to talk about, um, you know, some of the labels that can hold us back in our recovery. And we also have an amazing war story from Tessa, who is um, one of the coaches uh, on LIVED. Is that right?
2: Yep. She's one of our guides on Live. so she has a couple of really great courses out right now, so you can listen to her courses for free on the app.
1: Yeah, and she was amazing. Um, really, really kind of unique uh, story from her, and I'm excited to, to share it all with you, um, but Let's get into, let's get into our topic uh, a little bit. Today. Okay. So Willie,
0: Willie,
1: Willie, let's, let me ask May.
0: you.
1: um, <laughs> you're here. Right? I am. Um, good to have you here. Yeah,
0: Thank you. It's good to be here. I always fangirl whenever Ariel's around cause I'm a huge fan. So let me get comfortable.
2: <laughs>
0: oh, my heart. Oh, I don't, I don't know what to say to that. Okay. She'll send up? you an autograph. Something oh, right that'd there.
1: be sweet. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, Send you postcard from Peru. How about oh, that? Oh, that'd be great.
0: Okay. Um
1: let's do do you you, let's talk about some labels, right? Okay. Tell me some of the labels that uh, that you've that you've found for yourself over the years and uh, and how they've maybe changed in recovery. Okay.
0: Yeah, I I love this topic because um, I identified through other people's labels of me for so long, right? Like it's no, it's no secret to the people on the show that I had a very checkered and colorful past. That, that uh, the powers that be and well-intended um, people in charge of my life were, were trying to help me out long before I think I became alcoholic or dependent upon drugs or anything like that. And so um, I would get into these situations even as a kid where, where before I could have my own identity, I was being labeled, right? Like mm-hmm. I was already being labeled as either a tough kid or a hard kid or a bad kid or something like that. And I think, I think when I look back at all that stuff, um, I just agreed to those labels throughout most of my life. And I think there's a, a huge part of my subconscious that made sure that I lived up to those labels and Mm -hmm. I think that's one of the things that gets lost in kind of all the you know all the scramble of everything with trying to change our lives is which labels that I agreed with that I don't agree with right like like being a bad kid I agreed with that but I never wanted to be that right I never at a deep level wanted to be a bad kid I wanted to be loved and I wanted to have the world around me be safe And at some point throughout my journey of self-discovery, I found drugs and alcohol. And it was the first thing that I can remember that made me feel okay. And when I first heard the word alcoholic, and I've talked about this before, I feel like the word alcoholic has been in my life my whole life. Mm -hmm. Right? Like there was never a time where uh, it was a surprise to me that somebody either a friend or a loved one was drunk and somebody called him an alcoholic, that that was surprising to me, right? Right, And so, for me, that um, that label, when it comes to alcoholism or alcohol dependence or whatever you wanna put on it, alcoholic, to me, used to mean that you could handle your booze. Sure, okay. Like, if you're an alcoholic, that's the place you wanna be so that you could handle your booze. The, the, The alcoholic, when I was young, was the person that didn't get sick when they were drinking? Yeah, right? it was the person that could outdrink everybody else. It Here's was a point of pride. Yeah, yeah, it really was, you know. And so that psychic change happened within me where uh, I I wanted to become an alcoholic, but I didn't know how the subconscious mind works as far as like making sure that what I believe on the inside is reflected on the outside, and the alcoholic world. Just happened around me, Mm -hmm. and my world fell apart. Right, and so labels labels are really great because today I use affirmation to create the type of person that I am with intention. Right, and Mm so uh, instead of instead of like constantly, I identify as an alcoholic only in a recovery setting. I don't I don't go to a job interview or you know. Well, I don't go to a client that I'm getting ready to do a project for and identify, uh, you know, like I introduce myself as an alcoholic. I do that in the realms of recovery. And so when I do go to meet a new client or I go to my kid's school, I identify as like Isaac's dad or, Mm -hmm -hmm. you know, uh, the the owner of Morningstar contractors or, you know what I mean? So, yeah. I, yeah. yeah, all well, that.
1: I think that. Uh, <laughs> Thanks know. for cutting me yeah. off. <laughs> yeah. No, I mean it though, because yeah. I was starting to scramble. No, no, no. Like I, <laughs> I mean, if there, if you're in, if you're not anything, you're an organized individual, right? Right. Um, as far as your your conversation and your delivery goes. Yeah or not no <laughs> but here's the thing as you you touched on something that uh, that I, I really think is is worthy of, of uh, revisiting or, or maybe unpacking a little bit which is when you were growing up you were automatically tossed these labels right mm-hmm. um, and and as you grew up alcoholic was something that you maybe even strive to be right sure because it was a point of pride like I can remember, and Ariel, maybe like me knowing a little bit of your story, maybe you can um, pipe in on this. But I remember like the first time that somebody called me like um, a party animal, mm-hmm. and and having such mixed emotions about it. Like there was a part of me that was like, fuck yeah, and there was a part of me that was like, wait, like what happened? Like what? Like when did I become like the guy that, you know, was. Because when I think of a party animal, I think of somebody that's just nonstop partying, out of control, and it was like, to think that that's how others have labeled me was kind of a blow, right? Do you have any of that? Because I know that, you know, your story is, is maybe in the same vein of that.
2: Yeah, I mean, you know what I think is so interesting about labels is that we bring our own personal experience when we label anybody, including ourselves, to that like so the label of party animal someone could perceive that as a positive label whereas Mm -hmm. somebody else could perceive it as a really negative label so that's what I don't like about labels is that it's very inconsistent in terms of what they mean and there's so many different angles that you can look at every single label from so you know I've been labeled as the sorority party girl um, and that even just saying it out loud it's like cringy but at the same time some people just toss it around like it's nothing Mm -hmm, (laughs) so mm -hmm. it really depends on your own personal lived experience and what you're bringing into that so being labeled an alcoholic I've come I've come full circle with labels and maybe you guys are the same Mm -hmm. in the beginning I didn't want to be labeled alcoholic and then as I joined like the twelve step meetings, I loved being labeled alcoholic, and now I'm indifferent in terms of the label of alcoholic. So I've come like really a full circle with that. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you guys have experienced the same thing with labels.
0: no i really I really do. Um, and I think I think I use the label or I identify as an alcoholic more as a as a place to try. To, to gain confidence of other people. To, I use that term to show my problem with alcohol. To, you know, um, For me today, being labeled or calling myself an alcoholic does not necessarily make it a bad thing because I am an alcoholic in sobriety or mm-hmm. I'm an alcoholic in recovery and I'm able to use my past experience with drinking to gain that confidence with a new person that's sober curious or trying to get sober or or trying to change their life in one way or another. And I can say, you know, I'm an alcoholic and I I say I'm alcoholic based on what happens to me when I drink, not how much I drink or when I drink or who I drink with or um, any of those things. I consider myself alcoholic solely because of what happens to me when I drink. When Mm -hmm, I put alcohol mm -hmm. into my body, it changes me in a way that I do not like to be changed into today. Sure. And so, um, and then, you know, if I move forward into a different position, I'm sober free or I'm sober, you know? So I am an alcoholic based on what happens to me, but I'm sober because I don't use alcohol in my life at all. Right.
1: Yeah. Well, and I think that, you know, with what you said, um, Ariel is, what I, what I really loved about it was everybody has their own sort of personal association to whatever that label is. Like what, what alcoholic means to me has changed over time. Mm. Um, it doesn't mean the same thing to me as it, as it used to mean. And when I say it, like I know what I mean when I say it, I know what kind of person that is to me and what, what it conjures up, like what sort of image it conjures up to me when I identify as an alcoholic, but that's not going to be how somebody else may see it. Right. Like I may call myself an alcoholic in front of somebody and they're like, Jesus Christ, like, really? Like, what are you even (laughs) doing here? Like, you know what I mean? And because they're thinking of something completely different. Um, and so I think that it it is a shame because it does seem like a lot of people can get hung up on the nuances of these labels to the point where you know it will hold them back um i'm i'm sort of like you you know like i've become a little bit indifferent to it to where you know i don't care one way or the other like the important part is that i'm sober right like um and and I do have to be careful like who I say that to who I say the word alcoholic to like because some people just don't they don't get it the way that people in recovery might. so like I like Willie said like I'm not going to go into a job interview or or anything like that and introduce myself as an alcoholic but um, but I do I'm, I'm on board with the Ariel. I think that uh, you know these these labels can really hold us back in a lot of these instances
0: can, and can I ask a question Ariel. Sure. Um, so as a sober coach, you, you deal with a lot of new people that are, are coming into understanding that there seems to be some type of problem with their uh, relationship with alcohol. Um, mm-hmm. what, what, is, what is something that you would tell somebody that came to you and was like, you know, uh, I think I have a problem with drinking, but I don't like the label of alcohol. Or if they're, they're asking you how to label their condition Or something like that what are some some ways that you've handled that
2: yeah so I really like like to scrape off that top layer and just say like it truly doesn't matter how you want to identify so if you want to identify as alcoholic addict um, somebody who struggles with alcohol sober curious regardless that part really isn't what's important right now what's important is really getting into that layer of what does alcohol do to you when it enters your body? Like, mm-hmm. what happens for you? How do you feel? What kind of actions do you take? Because clearly you're on this, like, I tell them, clearly you're on this call with me right now because something isn't working for you. And that's, like, what I want to understand about you. Like, is alcohol taking from your life? In And if it is, in what ways? Because when we start to look at the negatives and the kind of the the pain that alcohol causes it also gives us a starting point to think about what trajectory you want to take moving forward is it that you want to cut back is it that you're wanting abstinence like but why like why do you want those things and what is going to change about your life when you when you start to change your relationship with alcohol mm-hmm. so i don't really you know and i tell them straight up like i identify as alcoholic i identify as an addict i identify as a person in recovery but I haven't always been that way. Like I, I used to be really terrified of the label alcoholic because I knew that once I was called alcoholic, for me, like drinking would not be an option anymore. So I had to get to that place on my own mm-hmm. where I realized, whoa, like alcohol is not bringing me any sort of joy, freedom, happiness. It's actually ruining my life. <laughs> but I had to get to that conclusion on my own. Yeah. You know, it wasn't people could tell me that till they are blue in the face, but it wasn't until I started to have conversations and look at things and come out of that shadow of denial. Like I lived in denial for a long time. I don't know if you guys are the same, but
1: <laughs> a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's one thing, you know, like we quote unquote, alcoholics have in common. Right. And that's, and that's one of the, the best things about it is, you know, now, now, I always just want to throw it under one big label of, of sober, right? Like we're all sober. Um, and people who are sober the way I am can say things like I lived in denial for a long time. Maybe you can relate. And other sober people go, yeah, I can relate because we all seem to share like similar traits in our journey. Um, one of which, was absolutely that we did not want to accept the fact that there was a problem with our drinking and that we may never be able to drink again. Um, For me, like, I had to rip that mandate off very slowly and that's why the one day at a time thing is so important is, you know, I really had to go through this process of one day at a timing it until I got to a place where I was like, you know what, like, I think I'm okay saying I'll never drink again. And I think I'm okay with, like, the idea of alcohol, like, not being something that I can handle in my life. But it took a long time to get there. Um, And, you know, through that whole journey, I was calling myself an alcoholic. But I was just doing it because that's what you did in the group that I was in, you know. Um, But then I, I got to a place where it's like I accept that drinking is not bringing me any value into my life. And regardless of what you call it, like it's got to go, right? And so if there's one thing I am in that instance, it's definitely a desperate person willing to do anything. And, uh, and I think that really like, that's sort of the crutch or, or the, uh, what do I want to say? Like, that's really the pivotal point in anybody's recovery journey is sort of getting to the point where the labels don't matter. And, and like you said, like, what is your behavior around alcohol or drugs? Like, what does it cause you to do? And what are you prepared to do to change it? Mm -hmm. So have you found that to be true, Willie? Yeah. And I
0: mean, you know, I think even more today, it's my recovery has gone so far past, um, the drinking, you know, and maybe Ariel, maybe Ariel sees this in her practice that once, Once the relationship with alcohol is identified and I started, um, working towards a sober lifestyle, all these other things started popping up. Like, you know, this, this deep seated, um, identification of being like a loser or like having a bad lot in life or being unsuccessful. And, and these were all, these were all like labels that I had at a deep subconscious level that that I didn't necessarily know were holding me back or even keeping me drunk, right? And so the label that once once I'm able to go past the certain label of identifying my drinking problem, then there seems to be, like, even more labels behind that sure. that need to be worked on, right? Have you seen that, like, happen with people, Ariel?
2: Definitely. I think um, alcohol puts us through the ringer, like so if we didn't already have trauma before drinking and using brings way more trauma to our lives anyway. So then we've got a, we've got a suitcase full of experiences, if you will, where we're unpacking it and starting to feel all of these things that we've numbed out for so long. Mm-hmm. So I think in the beginning, it's really about like learning how to feel our feelings. I mean, I'm still, you know, learning how to mm-hmm. do that. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's, But also, like, unpacking it and unpacking it in, like, a loving way. You know, like, we, every day we have the opportunity to reinvent ourselves and to, like, step into our power in such a different way than if we were drinking or using that day. Like, it's it's such a gift to be able to have that clarity, but also, like, sort through our past at the same time. Um, So what I'm hearing, Willie, is, like, you know, there's some self-esteem things that we yeah. go through where we just, we're like professionals at beating ourselves up after oh, yeah. this long. Mm-hmm. So we got to stop that because it doesn't add to our lives. It actually takes away. And if we continue to beat ourselves up, we're just going to want to go back to what we know how to do, which is numb that out. Mm-hmm.
1: Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and, you know, as we're talking about it, I'm actually thinking about, uh, about Tessa's story because. There is a lot of her story where she talks specifically about you know finding alcohol as a way to um, self-medicate you know for anxiety and for um, some of the things that she had to deal with in her life and and I think that that's just a, a common trope with any uh, <laughs> I almost said alcoholic and then I didn't want to say alcoholic right with, <laughs> um, because there's this weird sort of thing around it. But I think that that's a trope that, that comes with anybody that has a, a problem with alcohol or, or a problem with drugs is that, you know, we're, we're, we're replacing the, the old trauma with new trauma um, that comes in, you know, from our alcoholism. And then oftentimes it, it comes as a big shock when we remove the alcohol or the drugs and find out that there's actually other shit, right? that's, that's deeper at a deeper level that we really have to deal with. It may have been some of the reason why we were drinking in the first place. Um, And so, yeah, like peeling back those layers is such a crucial thing. And I think that as we do it, it is important to just eliminate the things that don't serve us. And I think that labels is one of those things. Like it, it's not helpful. It's not going to do anything for us. And so like the only real thing I know about myself is that, I'm an individual, I'm on this planet and I'm trying to do better, right? Yeah. What about positive labels?
0: Exactly. Like, you know, uh, because I mentioned, I mentioned affirmations earlier and it's almost like it's almost like if I don't purposefully um tell myself that I'm a winner, that um I have the right answers, that um I'm healthy, if I mm. if I don't put like like consciously mention those things about myself on a daily basis then the then the um, self-esteem stuff that you're just talking about almost naturally creeps back in the negative almost naturally creeps back in and I start finding myself um, subconsciously just like you said beating myself up mm. over perfectionism or over mistakes or you know instead of having uh, certain behaviors like uh, like like a mistake it's not I made a mistake it's I am a mistake and, and right. I have to does that make sense like like mm-hmm. like I, instead of having these negative labels I don't know how to get away from from labels like how do you get away is there a way to get away from it? Or, or are labels always a bad thing or, or you know what I mean because yeah. I got to have I got to have that positive affirmation in my life as far as I know that's all I know today
1: yeah well My thinking is, and and Ariel, maybe you can speak to this, but just from what I've been able to learn about myself and my journey is that one of the things that's important for me is humility. And it seems like when I was um, using and drinking that I never saw myself right size, right? (laughs) Like I was always either God's gift or I was the... The world's biggest piece of shit. More often than not, I was the latter. Yeah. Um, but uh, so when I try and tell myself positive things now, I try and stick to what is actually true, like exactly. what I what I know to be true, and like what is reality. And reality for me today is like I'm a father. I'm somebody in sobriety. I'm you know somebody that works with dudes. I I help other people. Like, these are things that, you know, you can't deny, that I can't argue with, that that uh, are, you know, based on evidence of the action that I'm taking. Right. And so, like, I can't argue with those, and I can't use those to over-inflate my ego either. And I think that that's crucial for me, because I've got to always sort of maintain, like, Cameron in this right perspective, or else I'll and off to the races with yeah. one, one or the other, right? Ariel, have you found that to be your experience at all? Or
2: Yeah, I mean, it's as you were talking, Cameron, it's so interesting for me to reflect on because I think my recovery's changed a lot over the past couple of years. You know, like the first two years, I would say I dove really deep into the 12-step program Um, and I loved like posting online that I was an alcoholic in recovery and now like I still go to meetings and I still like believe in all that the 12-step offers but I've also expanded and really started to get spiritual and thinking about you know I don't just have like an issue with drinking I have an issue with thinking Mm -hmm. so my brain will always pull me back into that direction of like negative thinking so now I've been doing all this research and really like doing some inner work in terms of like looking at how to raise my vibration. So alcohol like brought me to my lowest vibration where I didn't even know if I wanted to live anymore. Mm -hmm. Honestly, like when Mm -hmm. I was drinking, I just didn't even feel like, wow, like I just feel so low all the time. Is this even like, is there a point of being on this earth? And then now (laughs) I Really look at energy. So who do I want to surround myself with who makes me feel good? What kind of work am I doing? Do I have purpose in my life? Um, Am I having positive experiences like what can I do? To raise my vibration and I have to consistently think about this. It's not something that just happens overnight but I do notice like if I'm stuck in my head if I'm stuck thinking then I'm not at the best vibration I can be so I go from my head And oftentimes I have to like consciously push myself to my heart to really Mm. think about what's going to like connect me to other people, what's going to connect me to myself and really get me to that place of operating at a high vibration. Does that make sense?
0: Oh, yeah.
1: Yeah, I think that's wonderful.
0: And I I love that you're able to like tell us that it's the journey of it, right? Uh, I definitely did not start at a vibrational level. It, it, it wouldn't have been possible. You couldn't have explained it to me in a way I would understand. Mm-hmm. You know, it was just so freeing to, to finally be sober for a day and to be around other people, like you were saying in 12 step groups. And uh, one of the things that I think has held a lot of people back and it held me back for a time was uh, there's, there's some crotchety old fuckers in, in some of these 12 step <laughs> meetings that um, I've heard share messages that uh, that's all they need. Right. And and that's all that they need. That wasn't all that I needed. I needed a 12-step group, and I needed to understand a spiritual level of vibration, and I needed to understand what the subconscious was doing, and I needed to heal relationships from the past, and I needed to get physical fitness into my life, and I needed to, you know, it wasn't just... A one thing fits all for me Right. in that. And, and one thing that I want people to understand is that once we're sober, it's okay to go out and explore your life more. You know, what labels we do have for ourselves. What do they mean? You know, where did we get them? How do we change them? Are they true? You know, all those things. And they, the answers for all that stuff comes from exploration.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, very well said. I think that it's important that we look at all of that stuff because, um, looking at that stuff is the only way that we're going to find any growth. Mm -hmm. And if we're to, I mean, for me, it feels like if I'm not growing, I'm moving backwards. And so I can't stay stagnant in a 12 step program. I, I love the, what the program gives me and I'm grateful for it, but you know, I do have to do a lot of things in addition to, Yeah. Um, not in lieu of, mind you, like in addition to. <laughs> I and agree I, with that. And I think that that's, uh, you know, some mistake that, uh, that, that, you know, I can have, or I've had in the past where it's like, I think that this is something I can replace my 12 step program with. And it's like, no, that's not how it works for me. Like I've got to do all the things mm-hmm. um, if I want all the feel goods. So have you found that? I'm exactly
2: that... like you. Yeah, yeah I was going to say. I have to do all the things. <laughs> <laughs> and
1: sometimes I can get really bitter about that, you know, like, damn it. Like, why do I have to do everything?
2: <laughs> well, I have to boil it down for myself a lot of the time and, like, make it very simple. So the simplicity of this lifestyle is that I want to live. Mm. Like, I do not want to be sitting alone in my apartment ever again, getting drunk by myself or lost in some Uber somewhere in downtown DC because I'm so wasted. Like that is not living. And that was my definition of living for so long. Mm. And now it's about like, I mean, I said it earlier. It's like connecting with other people, doing things that I love, like traveling. You know, these are, and everyone's like big picture of why is so different. So I really, if, if you're listening to this podcast right now and you're, thinking about why you want to make a change, like really dig into that. Like, what is it that you want to get after in your life that has been on the back burner with alcohol in the picture? Like alcohol just takes from us. Mm -hmm. It takes so many things.
1: Yeah, it really does. And, and, uh, and I would encourage anybody who's, who's uh, listening right now to be brave enough to, you know, explore the idea of, Of uh, of what your life might look like without that alcohol, Um, I think that, uh, like I said, I mean we can get really caught up in the nuances of these labels, but once we kind of just toss them out the window, we're a lot more apt to just look at the reality of the situation, and hopefully be willing to to take some some action that's necessary. Yeah,
0: yeah. I I you know for some reason I'm thinking about uh, we had a guest on and she just asked a really simple question her name is Amy C Willis and she asked one of the things that you can ask yourself when you're when you're going through and making these changes is something as simple as is the alcohol in my life making my life better mm-hmm. and if if the answer to that is no then let's let's get sober let's let's figure out what direction you need to take one of the great things that I love about our show that we've always been really open to is that this is an all pathways podcast. So, um, if a 12 step meeting doesn't seem right for you, perhaps a sober mother's group is what you need or a sober AF group or a, um, sober coach one-on-one because there's so many different ways that people are getting sober now that I never knew were available until mm-hmm. we had all this neat technology that we're able to go through and like have Ariel on today, uh, to be able to talk about this stuff and, and what works for her and what works for me and what works for Cameron. You know, these suggestions are just that suggestions. However, if alcohol is something that seems to be a problem as it was for me, uh, there is hope. Yeah. There's definitely hope.
1: Yeah. Yeah, and I think again, like keeping Mm -hmm. it simple is is something that I have to like do in a very mindful manner, right? Like I have to uncomplicate things because (laughs) I will overcomplicate things. Um, That's just my default. So, you know, being able to ask and answer those simple questions, I think, is super super important for me. And and maybe there's other alcoholics or people who. Um, you know, may or may not have a problem with drinking that can identify with that. Yeah. I really, I
2: think the most important part is finding somebody who's transformed, like their life, you know, somebody that has been where you are today, and learning from them and hearing about how they did it. I mean, this is the basis of so many programs out there. But Really like just finding even one person that you can talk to about what you're going through. I think can be such a game changer for anybody
1: Yeah, absolutely and and uh, and I appreciate that I I think that um, We can really get lost in in that and I think that when we find somebody that has been through what we have been through and come out the other side, that's the only time I'm willing to listen to what they have to say Um, and so, yeah, I appreciate you mentioning that. I, I want to get into Tessa's story here. I think that this is a great segue because she is somebody that, um, you know, you can hear her story here and then if you identify with anything that Tessa had to say, you can actually reach out to her personally. Um, but she had a great story, man. Yeah. What'd you think, Willie?
0: Yeah, I loved it, man. And and I'm grateful for where she's at today. Yeah, Yeah, I really am. The world's a better place with where she is today.
1: Yeah, absolutely. So we're going to go ahead and play it out for you guys. I can't wait for you to hear it. This is Tessa's War Story. This week's War Story is brought to you by Brainwash Coffee. Brainwash Coffee is damn good coffee with a damn good cause. 50% of all proceeds go back into the recovery community, which is why Brainwash Coffee is the perfect partner for us here at the other side of the valley. With blends like Higher Powder and Ego Ain't Your Amigo, Brainwash coffee has your back no matter what you're poisoning. Right now you can get $5 off your coffee order when you use promo code OtherSite at brainwashcoffeeco.com. Clean your beans with brainwash. And without further ado, here is this week's board story.
3: Hi, my name is Tessa, and I am one year and seven months alcohol free. I identify as a ex-wine mom. I spent um, decades thinking I was a normal drinker. I got very caught up in the whole mommy wine culture. And then when the pandemic hit, that's when things really went downhill and they went downhill fast. I um, think back and think if not that the pandemic was good, but that if it hadn't happened, I might still be out there thinking I was a normal Drinker or managing my very problematic drinking. And so I'm just very grateful to be here and grateful for all of you. The first time that I drank, um, I blacked out and I was 14 years old. Uh, Nothing really bad happened, but it did kind of scare me a little bit to the point where I didn't drink that much again until I was in college. I, um, Alcohol really was like a magic elixir to me. It felt like when I drank it, I was somehow being fixed and just felt like the thing, this like potion that would just make me more confident, feel more at ease in my body, feel more relatable to people. Um, It really worked for a long time. And as we know, it stopped working, which is why I'm here now, but, um, in college, that's when I started to have, you know, a little bit more frequent, I would say more problematic drinking with more frequent blackouts, um, drank more heavily, but definitely more, um, I was more of a binge drinker, not, um, not a daily drinker at that point of my life. And, um, I did go. I I chose the most, um, you know, one of the top party schools. So that was very intentional. I went to LSU, and really lived that up to to its full potential for sure. Um, and then after after I graduated college, I uh, started working in the corporate world for about a decade, and that um, that job, really in my working career, it it was just continued the drinking, a lot of binge drinking, again, not necessarily daily at that point, but it, it was just very, if, as long as we, you know, kept things together for our clients, it was very encouraged as team building, happy hours, retreats. Um, it was all unlimited, free alcohol. And um, again, it worked for me. It helped me to be more sociable I mean, for sure, it didn't help me to go and try and do my job completely hungover. But um, it was a crutch that I relied on for a very long time to help manage anxiety, again, self-worth, all of that stuff. Um, And then when um, I left the corporate world and when I was in my early 30s, um, that was when I started to really feel that. Brokenness, like there was something wrong with me that needed to be fixed, and at that time in my life, wine really again helped to fill that void, and that's when I started to drink on uh, more on a daily basis. Parenting—if anyone listening has <laughs> young children—that um, witching hour between like four and seven—I uh, heavily relied on wine and listened to all of, you know, the jokes with mommy, mommy wines because you wine, all of that. I took that as legit parenting advice and ran with it and, um, thought it was funny. And, uh, if you, yeah, it was not funny. (laughs) It was a way for me to, um, justify and think that what I was doing was okay. When in reality, I wasn't present for my kids. And that's hard and something that I feel like I missed, Um, you know, parts, parts of their young childhood. But at the same time, I know, um, you know, I was still there. The essence of me was still there in those moments. And I could go and just have, you know, a glass or two a night. And that was what was really confusing to me because I would even like take a Thursday off. And so I wasn't if I took a Thursday off, I wasn't drinking every night and I could just have two glasses during this time, like, like early, late thirties. So like, there's no way that I would ever have, it wasn't even in the question, like, there's no reason why I would have to get sober and quit. Like this is fine. Um, but then there'd be another heavy night and then the shame and regret and then more drinking. And again, the cycle would just continue. I, I felt like that brokenness and started just going to every naturopath, acupuncturist therapist, that something was going on with me. I even had, um, like swollen lymph nodes. So I was sure I had cancer. Like there was just all of this stuff going on is the lymph the lymph nodes actually magically disappeared after I got sober but I was sure there was just like something wrong. And it was never a question of whether I was drinking too much. That was never, alcohol was not the problem. There was like something else going on, some like medical problem or like something and that, and I'm laughing, it's not funny, but that is like, that's really what I did and wasted. I don't want to say wasted a time, but, um, you know, explored every avenue out there Um, the pandemic hit and children were home, my children, and it got, the world got stressful. Um, it got stressful in my home and things escalated very quickly. Um, so I was probably, you know, could pass as more of a problematic normal drinker before that, but then very quickly I was drinking, very heavily having to drink cider in the morning to function and feel semi-normal um and just spiraling out of control very quickly I ended up going um again seeking trying to figure out what was wrong but knew you know in the back of my head like this drinking it was getting out of control I was doing trauma work and um ended up going um and doing TMS treatment and I think that treatment, even it's not recommended that it's actually discouraged. You're not supposed to be drinking while you do this therapy. It's these magnets that they put on your head and you basically um, go in, it's, it's approved um, for FDA approved for depression and anxiety. And um, that I believe by doing that treatment helped me kind of get lifted out of this fog and wake up to the fact that something had to change. And there was a tiny slither of a new pathway that was built in my brain that I knew I had to just reach for and do. And that's when, um, it was December 27th. Again, nothing really happened. It was too much drinking, but nothing horrible happened December 27th, 2020. 20 I um had my last drink on in the morning peanut butter whiskey which I never drink and and I decided that was it and then I found a a support group after that but that um yeah that was it on um the night before um my last day my sobriety date it was Christmas day and um I had stayed sober on Christmas Eve because I wanted to wake up and remember Christmas morning. That was like my goal. I was just going to do it no matter what. And then three o'clock rolled around on Christmas day and the bottles, you know, started opening all of that. I overdid it. Um, I woke up at 3 AM that morning, just, with the worst anxiety and my dog barking there, we had left our garage door open and um, a cop was at our door. And I just remember having this sinking feeling like, what if something, I had all of the not yet running through my head. Like, what if it wasn't just the garage door open? What if there was a fire? What if I didn't wake up? What if, God forbid, all of those things ran through my head, just seeing the cop on my front door for my garage door. And I just feel so thankful that it's like, why is he knocking on my door to tell me my garage door is open? Is like, I was irritated, but at the same time, like he almost saved me. It was, it was insane. Like just, it was, it was truly a wake up call that wasn't again, not a rock bottom on the surface. It was just like, ha, ah, like, yeah not not a big deal, but it felt it really hit me hard. And that morning, I woke up and had that same pit in my stomach, felt like death, drank peanut butter whiskey, which I never drink, but I just knew like that was it. And that just made me completely disgusted with myself. And the first week, um it was just I knew. I didn't tell anyone that I was done, but I just knew I just knew that that was it. And I had had enough of enough was enough. It was just my pain, I think everyone has their own pain tolerance, and my pain tolerance was just that was done. I was sick of just destroying myself. and that's what I was doing. i um was really felt like. I was just hurting myself in this. And I would continue to do this, continue to hurt myself. And then clearly my eyes were open to the fact that I could hurt other people very easily. Um, and so I was very grateful that I figured that out before anything else happened. Um, I really, the first week was white knuckling, trying to find, it was COVID. And I think a lot of groups. Um, you know, there were some virtual groups out there, but they were kind of just getting started. Uh, there were, I was doing a lot of searching. I, um, I opened up a TikTok and just thought like nobody in the world could see me and started posting (laughs) about like stuff out onto the internet. Um, I ended up joining, a recovery group and then not completely resonating with it and then I found a um, another support group called um, SMS it's a uh, silver mom squad and that group um, really is what helped me to continue on the path that I'm on now because I really think it it could have turned into you know a wake-up call but then I could have easily fallen back into, oh, I wasn't, that was bad, but I wasn't that bad. I can go back. I can try and like fix this and moderate and all of that. It wasn't until I found a support group that I realized like, that's not a possibility for me. And I started to really dig in and get mad. I got very mad at big alcohol. I got very mad at, um, at the mommy wine culture, honestly, and how women are targeted moms, um, suburban moms are targeted by alcohol companies. And, and that anger was, um, was big. And I think it helped me kind of carry through, um, carry through that, you know, those first few months of kind of just like, this is not okay. And it also helped in caring for the, um, TMS treatment where my brain just started to shift to say, I no longer want to poison myself instead of, I can't have, I can't drink anymore because I'm broken or like I, I'm, you know, whatever it's, it's a poisonous substance. And I think I look at it more like a spectrum where I, was further along on the spectrum and luckily figured it out that that was something i could no longer participate in and then i started to meet people Um, i honestly was not on any sober related um vortex internets or anything before i got sober but i started to meet people and i thought like this is something that i want that it actually doesn't look like the worst thing in the world or horrible, or like my life is ending and my world is ending. It looks amazing. And I want that. And, um, I wanted it even though it was in the first 30 days, the hardest thing ever, because I was constantly saying, I want that, but at the same time, biting these urges and understanding, that I hadn't been dealing with any of my feelings really, that I had to like learn how to actually sit with uncomfortable feelings. And that was really, really difficult in the beginning um, because as I had been in therapy working on stuff, it really was like, okay, all of that work, I have to put it into practice and not have this crutch um, that I had been been relying on for so long that did work until it, it, Turned um, bad, so that um, that group also um, it's not it's not a program, but I think I I feel like I was lucky in that um, I was able to find have that feeling of accountability and connect with people and having accountability of people you know asking where you are um, and checking in when you don't show up or when you Get on and have a mental or something like that, people calling and checking in that really, really helped me, um, helped me in the beginning and carried me through, honestly, through the first year, um, the first 30 days, 60. I think I felt so semi normal around the six month mark, but yeah, the hardest, hardest beginning part. And um, yeah, and I think just one other point I had tried to quit do like a dry January and like another two week challenge. And so, well, it may seem like it was the first time I had quit. It wasn't, it wasn't like some unicorn process where um, it wasn't something that I had tried. I had tried to quit before, but this felt like before it was more white knuckling, And this felt like it was actually a permanent thing. It wasn't just some like challenge I was doing. This was like a real committed thing. And I think that helped to carry me through as well to say, like in my mind, just having the determination, like this is no longer an option. And I'm excited that it's no longer an option today at this point at one year and seven months, it's crazy. I, um, my life is not what I thought it would be, but it's absolutely fulfilling and incredible. I, um, I have the opportunity, the amazing opportunity that I've been given to work for the past six months uh, with a sobriety app lived. And I've um, been able to create content for them, courses and short motivational audio. And they have been so incredible and Helping um, their users with this amazing free content from so many incredible recovery um, people in recovery. It's just I've learned so much from that app and the other um, users in it. So that's been incredible. I also create content on TikTok, and that's been super fun. It's kind of therapeutic, and and my way of um, helping people, but also just getting out everything that comes up in recovery. It's kind of a, um, a mix between me just like letting things out and sharing and also, um, taps into my creative side, which I think, um, is, you know, just to have something more, can get a little addicting and maybe not the healthiest form of, um, I wouldn't say I'm trading my addictions, but it definitely can (laughs) sometimes feel like that. Um, you know, with social media, I think for anyone. So I have to, I have to kind of balance that, um, because I get, I get really into it, but it's been really fun. And I get messages from a lot of people that it's helped them. And that's, um, that's really why I love to do it. And then, um, I, um, Uh, Yeah. And I'm just a member of a silver mom squad, um, which is a a community. They have a free meeting on Wednesday and then they have about 20, um, 20 minute meetings a week and all these different courses that is a paid membership um, that anyone, any mom can join. Um, So it's kind of a, a nice alternative, not a program, but a community for people, um, for moms, Who who want that like-minded support and it kind of gives that that safety um for us to just um get out all that rage about mommy wine culture. It's been it's been absolutely incredible. So yeah, that's um that is what is happening now. So thank you so much. So we'll link the sober mom squad and the lived app in this podcast episode, and then for anyone that wants to follow me on TikTok, I am at Tessa r low l o w e uh on on the app
1: oh that was great yeah thank you so much tessa thank you um that was one year and seven months she had then yep that's amazing yeah you know what did you like about her story the most willie
0: uh i i like how she's able to turn around her idea about motherhood you know the idea that Mommy whines because you whine and like seeing the the reality and how fucked up that kind of is, mm, you know, like, mm. like using whatever. I mean, we use whatever excuse we can to drink, right. but we don't, the, our kids aren't the reason we drink. Like we would drink with or without them. Well, you what know? kind
1: of message are you sending to your kids? Yeah. That's <laughs> so fucked yeah. up. I,
0: I love this. I, I always love seeing a woman turn her life around and get her power and her voice back because, uh, you know, I mean, the world the world is what it is because of the women in it and like seeing them come back around is just the the best for me amazing yeah um ariel
1: did you have any points of her story that stuck out to you more than others
2: yeah you know something that i love about tessa obviously is her honesty Mm -hmm. um and her realness and authenticity she's one of my favorite people in general so (laughs) i um i've I can really relate, though, how she talks about, like, her why of why she drank. Part of it was anxiety. Mm -hmm. And I think that this topic of, you know, we don't just go out there and decide to have 10 drinks in one sitting. Like, there's actually something that alcohol does for us Mm -hmm. on some really messed up level. Like, it's not healthy to obviously have 10 drinks in a sitting, but... Hey, we're self-medicating and there's something that we really do need to look at here in terms of like what we can do differently instead of coping with alcohol. So throughout her story, I think just like hearing that theme of coping and the why, why we drank in the first place is just so important for us all to look at because mm-hmm. it also can give us a starting point into, you know, coping differently and like living differently and healing that part of ourselves.
0: hmm. Yeah.
2: In another
1: way. Yeah, absolutely. And that was something I identified with is like I didn't I didn't realize how much I was using alcohol as a solution um, before it was such a problem. Yeah. Um, But that was for sure something that uh, that I was doing with with drinking. Um, And so I think having heard it in her story, it just reminds me like, oh, yeah, like this is why this is why we did that, you know. Um, and I really, really, really loved her, um, her sort of journey with the, the, the wine mom culture because I think that that is something that uh, that when I hear about her, I see or I witness today, it really just has me scratching my head. I'm like, this is such a bad idea. Like, um, mm. and and so. I like to, to know that there are people out there that can go through it and come out of the other yeah. side and say, you know what, like this is probably not the direction that we want to go with that.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Um, but yeah, it was just great.
0: Yeah. A lot of yet's out there for all of us. Like she was saying, you know, mm-hmm. moments of yet.
1: So. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so we're, we're grateful that she, uh, that she was able to come on here and tell her story again. Thank you so much, Tessa. Um, yeah, that was amazing. Um, and so find, you
0: find her on TikTok.
1: Find her on TikTok. Um, again, Ariel, you know, you know, Tessa. Tessa is a big part of this app, uh, the Lived app. Again, um, l- remind everybody where they can find that and and exactly what they might uh, what they might use it for.
2: Absolutely. So you can find Lived on Instagram at live.app App or on TikTok. Um, but essentially what we do is we're an app where you can learn from people who have done it who have made a change with alcohol So whether you want to quit cut back or just like really consider making a change You can come in hear from people who have actually gone through that transformation and how they did it So I that's why I love being a part of this app um, I have a couple of courses in there. Tessa has a couple of courses in there one of my courses is called rethinking your drinking So you can actually look at the patterns that are going on in your life and how you want to think about alcohol differently. And I'll guide you through a couple of different concepts that can help you really think about alcohol Mm -hmm. differently. So you can find us even on the web at lived.app. Or if you want to find me, um, my Instagram handle, and I'm talking about lived quite frequently too, is at Ariel Diamond. A-R-I-E-L-L-E-D-Y-M-E-N-T. Yeah.
1: And you won't regret following Ariel. It's been uh, so great to follow your journey. And, and I always appreciate your post because you have um, such amazing insight and perspective. And, and uh, it's been really cool to call you a partner on this road of recovery. Yeah. Um, so we're honored and grateful to have you here. Um, just like we talked about earlier, you know, it's so important in anybody's recovery journey that you find somebody that has been there. Um, and that is, that has come out the other side. And so, um, you know, however that looks for you, however you find that person, um, it's just, uh, it's, it's, uh, lived can be a way for you to do that. Yep. Um, so yeah, I just, I don't know. It's, yeah, it's great. And it's awesome. I appreciate you again.
0: Yeah. Thank you, Arielle for coming
1: out.
2: Thank you. Taking some time oh, out. Thanks to guys. With us.
1: I'm giving you it's an air really hug right fun. now. Let's, let's give air an uh, air hug. You guys can't see this but our arm maybe you can't um my arms are open real big and wide and i can see Ariel's too so she's she's doing it too <laughs> so that's <laughs> air hug
2: that, from peru that's I
0: right yeah thank you so peru much be an air hug i think <laughs> they call that a pro hug yeah
2: pro hug pro hug right here.
1: yep all right well let's get out of here um ariel wow. has some peruan to do and yeah and uh perusing she has got perusing
0: <laughs>
1: willie's gonna take perusing a nap because that's what he does yeah um i'm gonna maybe be a dad for a minute and so yeah, let's thank let's, you. let's wrap it out should we yeah all right thanks jordan appreciate you pal um thank you again ariel thank you tessa thanks everybody who supports the show remember you
0: are worth the work we'll see you on the other side The Other Side of Hell is
1: a do-it-yourself podcast. For more information, recovery resources, and contact info, check out our website at theothersideofhellpodcast.com. You can help us spread our message by liking and subscribing, giving us a follow, or a five-star rating.